Welcome, everybody, to episode 81 of the Untitled Themed Entertainment Design Show podcast. Today, we had uh, a group from EDSA, Landscape Architects, on the show, and I thought it was great. What do you think, Patrick? Yeah, it was definitely one of those episodes where we're dealing into, I don't want to say niche, but just unknown roles Mm. in the industry, what they're all about. I thought it was really fun. Uh, Kudos to Jeff, Danny, and QQ for coming on and sharing their bits of wisdom about landscape architecture. There he is. Andy Garfield, how are you today? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Oh, living the dream. Two shows in two weeks. Can you believe it? I know. It's madness. It's like old times. It's like we do a show every week. Remember those days? I can't. I am. I... We were doing uh, we were doing quite a community service when we were doing those things every week during the for pandemic. real. I mean, you know, back in in twenty mid twenty twenty one, we had we had like five six shows a week. It was it was yeah, it was awesome. It was a good time. Slack ran loved, my life. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad we're in a nice good cadence doing shows. Um, what, what happens if we go to a we go to a networking event? And today's show actually happened um, because we were at a, a, a mutual mixer and we, we, uh, I propositioned uh, a few people from EDSA to come on the air and talk about what they do. So we're really excited to have them. We'll be getting to them in, in just a few moments. They're hanging out in our, our green room, um, virtual green room. Uh, but Andy, virtual it's a, snacks, it's a, virtual drinks, snacks, virtual drinks. Uh, but what? Some, a little bit of theme park news. Where do you want to start before we get into our, our guests? Well, we have a lot of Disney news today, you know, with uh, just before air, it was announced that uh, Disney is has has announced a opening date for the new Marvel Captain America Rogers, the musical one act musical at the Hyperion Theater DCA uh, and is premiering June 30th. And uh, I'm honestly very excited about that because I. I love campy musicals, and I loved the Save the Day song that they did for the movie, um, and the Man with the Plan song from the from the other movie, from the Captain America movie. Uh, I'm very excited to to see you know like a forty five minute, you know thirty minute you know production of Captain America the musical, like with five new original songs as well. Uh, I think written by Chris Lennertz. Uh, I've heard through the grapevine. Don't quote me on that. Please don't uh, ITM me on that. <laughs> but uh, the other uh, quick news before we get to our guests, who I'm very excited about um, from EDSA, uh, Disney has also announced via the Star Wars celebration in London this last weekend uh, that they're adding new worlds to the Star Wars ride, Star Tours. Very excited about that. And yeah. um, also more characters to Galaxy's Edge as well, which I think is smart, you know, you throw the timeline out the window. Nobody cares, you know. Like as, as, as Dave Cobb famously said, "Do you want to be right or do you want to go to Hoff?" <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for those changes. Um, I still, I still have my fingers crossed for a, a new mission on or an added mission to Millennium Falcon. So maybe that'll, yeah. maybe that'll be somewhere someday. We'll get that because I, I really. I feel like that would. 
I feel like if they were going to do that, they would have announced it because it would have been such. I feel like it would have been bigger news than Star Tours because Star Tours is you yeah. know forty year old ride, you know, and yeah. and to have a new Smuggler's Run mission would be. I don't know. Maybe they're just going to surprise us. You know, you just get in and and like bam, it's a new mission. That'd be cool. That'd be. I mean, I'd love that. Love that. And uh, also looking for, uh, annual passes have come back to Di- or Disney World. Uh, they're you know limited time magic. I don't know what they're going to do with it, but. Uh, so for those that need an annual pass, also check that out. Interesting. You know, I, I kind of do a count of like what's not back from the industry. And here in uh, Orlando, at least, big biggest effects have been um, water parks. They're only operating one water park at a time. And uh, the Little Mermaid show. Um, and then there has been sporadic entertainment that hasn't come back yet, like the Citizens of Hollywood or don't quote me on that, but a few different things like that. So we're so close. I will say, love Disney, love the Disney Corporation. Typhoon Lagoon was quite packed, and uh, we were rerouted to pack at Disney Springs Orange Garage. Oh my and, gosh! Uh, I now, granted, it's Easter weekend, but I hope that they will uh, do what they can to open up the other, have them being open at once, because. Uh, it felt like they could definitely handle more. Um, they could they could handle having two parks open uh, for the guests. So that was also a thing uh, this weekend that experienced um, that I'm looking forward to seeing how it evolves as the summer. Yeah, summer comes did, even even before the panda, didn't they alternate the water parks? Like one's under refurbishment and one was open. You know, like half the year or something like that. Yeah, it was, it was for a couple months. It was like maybe for a couple months they would, you know, during winter time they would alternate. Mm. Um, it, but it was really, um, it was. Uh, but not, normally they'd be back. They'd be both be open right now. Um, <laughs> they'd be completely be, be open. So looking forward to seeing those offerings come back. Uh, and yeah, you know, it was. I, you know, it was my first time taking my uh, eleven. Well, almost, uh, almost a year old sun there and and it was just it was a joy like they they have some pretty cool little areas that that uh kids can just like splash around in by their by themselves and of course doing lazy river on you know which was a lot of fun um just taking a toddler to the to any theme park just changed your mind uh, or just changed your perspective so it just was really a lot of fun um finding those little opportunities for that and of course the uh the beer cart I'm I'm just looking at the uh, the tiers for the new uh, Disney World passes. the The cheapest one, the Pixie Dust Pass, is three ninety nine plus tax and is valid on most weekdays, uh, but not valid on holidays or weekends. And then Disney's Pirate Pass seven forty nine, Sorcerer Pass nine sixty nine, and the Disney Incredit Pass. Thirteen ninety nine, and I remember the last time I had an annual pass. It was the Premier Pass, and it was thirteen ninety nine. That was in two thousand nineteen or eighteen, and I had that Premier Pass, and it was I think it was thirteen ninety nine for all parks. Yeah, I remember ten years ago when I had like the domestic annual pass, which was good for both Disney World and Disneyland. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The Premier like Pass, yeah, seven hundred. It was like seven hundred fifty bucks. Yeah, they, um, they, the the first time I got it, it was like six ninety nine or eight ninety nine or something like that. And I'm just like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, let's well, get to the uh, show. Yeah, let's get to the show. Um, <laughs> we have some great guests. We're talking about landscape architecture. You know, it's really a, quite a treat. Uh, you know, they're from EDSA, um, and lots of questions for them. We have ten questions for them. Let's bring them on. 
<clears throat> we have Jeff Sugar. Uh, we have QQ. We have Danny Bulemore. Did I say that correctly? I did not ask before the show. I rolled right off. Sounded great. <laughs> yeah, you probably got a lot of like Bueller or those kind of gags growing up from that. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> well, welcome well, to the show, you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, well, you know, we'd, uh, we'd love to do a little uh, discussion about your your personal lives, personal lives, for your professional careers. <laughs> well, Patrick, what do you need to know? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, let's that. give Jeff. But... Yeah, before you do, why don't we watch a snappy <clears throat> reel of EDSA and what they're all about? Great. As co-authors in the story of place, we invite you into our world of discovery, innovation, design, and creativity. Through our visionary lens, we endeavor to create a better world. Fantastic. Shout out to the EDSA marketing department for that. That's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, why don't we go ahead and do some personal introductions? <laughs> I did it again. Um, and let's talk about how you ended up in landscape uh, architecture. So, uh, QQ, why don't we go ahead and start with you? Hello. So, um, my name is Chen Chen, and I'm a landscape designer with EDSA. I joined EDSA in 2021. Uh, I have been fortunate to work on lots of lots of awesome projects, which I cannot talk about today. Uh, <laughs> going to my story, how I found landscape architecture is probably similar to a lot of people. I did not find landscape architecture right away. Um, I went to undergrad school for architecture. Then I realized, oh, maybe I'm interesting more about things outside the building. I didn't know what was that. Uh, I thought it may be urban design, urban planning, or landscape. Uh, back in 2014, uh, I booked a trip to Orlando with my friends, and then it was my first time visiting Orlando. And then we stayed in Orlando for one week at Disney's resort. And it was like eye-opening experience for me. Uh, the We had a check bag, so the mail, the lug luggage tagged to us. And it was so magical, like our luggage just show up in our hotel room. We didn't even need to pick up luggage when we arrived in Orlando. And then all this Disney uh, bus transit system, I was like, I had no idea how big Disney World was at that time. And then after a trip, I got home, I started to do research. How can I do stuff like this? And I realized, ah, oh, that's master planning, that's landscape architecture. Right away, I made a decision. I need to study in Florida so I can get closer to all of the parks. So I applied to UF without even look at where is University of Florida. Then probably three or four weeks before I book my flight ticket to the States, I realized, <laughs> oh my God, University of Florida 
it's not in Orlando. <laughs> it's in a college town called Gainesville. And then my next question to myself is, oh, so how close Gainesville is to Orlando? And I figure it's only like a two hours drive. I said, okay, I can't always visit park over the weekend. So that's how I found landscape architecture. That's great, love it. Well, welcome onto the show. Uh, next I'll go to Danny with the shirt, oh, perfect. looking good. Thank you. Yeah, Jeff and I were talking about that today, how we coordinated um, our tablecloth yes. outfits here. But um, I don't know if I can top QQ. That's pretty good. But uh, for me, uh, always interested in outdoor environments. Um, going to theme parks when I was younger was had you know significant impact on where I wanted to do uh, or where I wanted to go from a career standpoint. Always interested in drawing, but uh, I'd actually started as an engineering, civil engineering major, and before I even started school, I changed that and uh, was was lucky enough to stumble into introduction to landscape architecture and learn more about what that was. But uh, ended up working at a golf course uh, for most of uh, my younger years as well. So kind of getting exposed to that environment and being, uh, you know, in, in very carefully crafted landscape. So had a lot of really major influences um, from those experiences. And then I ended up interning a few summers in Orlando and sort of confirmed my passion for the horticulture world and landscape architectural world. And um, I've been with EDSA for like 11 years and uh, have been really fortunate to be able to dive into this world, just like Chin Chin mentioned, um, was very driven to where I wanted to work and what I wanted to work on or where I would do that work based on my experiences. So going to places like Orlando and and just being amazed that there were, you know, I could do that for a career. I could work on those environments um, that connect all the spaces together. I thought was amazing, and so that that uh, it all sort of fell into place. Love it. And Jeff Sugar, who I <laughs> known for many years, and it's been a delight to be able to work with you and collaborate with you in the past. I appreciate that, Patrick. Um, I think just like uh, Chin Chin and, and Danny, um, my introduction to landscape architecture was found. Um, I think a lot of people that are landscape architects, it becomes a found set, um, profession. So I started off um, at junior college in architecture, went to the University of Florida, um, like Chin Chin, go Gators, um, and was, I think, three credits away from graduating. And I took an intro to landscape architecture course um, just so I could figure out or get my full financial aid and uh, decided at that point in time that this is way more um, in my lifestyle and what I want to do. So I changed my major, started from scratch as a, a freshman in the College of Design, Construction, and Planning. Got my degree in landscape architecture in 97. Um, worked as a traditional landscape architect uh, up until um, 2009 when the market crashed and a bunch of people got laid off. So I had to find something to do. And through connections that I had, um, there was a firm in town that um, needed some landscape architecture and planning help in the themed entertainment uh, realm. So, you know, I've been going to Disney and, and loved everything about Disney since 72. Um, so I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's do it. Um, so for about nine years there, um, I kind of worked as director of planning at, at that firm. And then in 2019, um, made the move over here to EDSA. Um, and then in last year, 22, fortunate enough to be promoted to principal and 
um, I kind of head up the themed entertainment group here at EDSA. Very nice. Okay. And shout out, shout out to the paid actor behind you too. He looks great. <laughs> <laughs> we brought him in because he looks like a professional. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what he does the rest of the time. Very expensive. Yeah. To be Very honest, I just messaged him saying, you tell, you're all live on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if he checked the message. We'll just, there we go. <laughs> right. We don't have to pay him now. So that's, uh, that's great. Well, let's, 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 I want to jump right into the nitty gritty of, of the show. Like, and, and I, I'd love to hear your guys' definition I can go around the horn or somebody can take this, but like, what, what is your definition of landscape architecture and how does it fit into the theme entertainment process? Um, I'll go ahead and I'll just run right into it. Um, so I'm glad you kept it at the bottom. So I know what I'm talking about. Um, so to me, obviously as being a landscape architect, I think the most important thing um, for a themed entertainment environment is uh, landscape architecture and planning. It gets you from wherever you're coming from, uh, whether it be a train, plane, or automobile, out of that vehicle, and then all the way up to the experience. And then we as landscape architects um, and our education and experience help to really kind of um, orchestrate your movement through the space um, from the very, very wide all the way to the narrow part um, in the theme park of the queue line. If you think about it, it's the exact same process that you probably drive home every day in your car where you're on a, a boulevard or interstate, smaller road, smaller road to your driveway, into your front door. It's that same process uh, and processional that gets folded into the themed entertainment industry. Um, and then the other thing to put on top of that um, are all the, um, the kit of parts that we get to play with. So landscape material, hardscape material, waterscapes, um, all of that stuff blends together to, to make the experience that is themed entertainment. Right. Awesome. Anybody have any? Yeah, go ahead, Danny. Yeah, I'll, I'll add to that. I think kind of building off what Jeff said, it's like we, we have really a lot of power in a lot of ways to help choreograph the guest experience in, in ways that probably no other one discipline has um, sort of falls in the web between as many different trades as, as we do to help tell that story. And I mean, it's, there's a lot of responsibility with that too, because we're uh, ultimately the ones trying to uh, spark different emotions from people or keep them in a mindset that they're, uh, you know, they're they're deep in the jungle somewhere or you know, walking through the desert somewhere or something. We're we're connecting the dots in all those different uh, spaces. Uh, we're we're helping transition between spaces, and then we're also. Uh, building berms and screening things so that you're not seeing anything that would would threaten that experience that you're in. So there's a lot of um, it's 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 such a rich um, informed position between all these different worlds of science and art that um, you know right brain and left brain where we we constantly have to go back and forth um, daily hourly to make sure we're uh, building an experience that will satisfy uh you know the the all the required criteria of code or health needs or anything like that but that we can also um question at every turn are we staying true to design intent or an experience we're trying to build so um i think that that to me being being the ones to sort of write the path so to speak or path options for somebody and pairing that with 
the ability to link all these different pieces together is is um, you know intriguing. It's it's a responsibility, but it's incredibly exciting. I think one thing I want to add is that when we talk about landscape architecture, a lot of people only think about trees, shrubs, planting. They don't think about stuff like uh, paving material. You know, when we, we, we always say we are a storyteller, we are a placemaker. So as a landscape architect, we have the opportunity to design space, uh, connect us on a very deep level so people can feel, think, and react to our design. That's and I never cool. considered I've, I've never I never considered, you know, uh, storytelling through hardscape before. But, you know, I'm definitely going to be thinking more about that as well. You know, besides rock work, I mean, everyone, everyone loves rock work. I love rock work. But yeah. like, you know, it's like, you know, what are those pavers making me feel, you know, yeah. kind of yeah. thing? Oh, definitely. Yeah, well, yeah. And I think. Oh, oh go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say even beyond like. So with softscape, hardscape, so plant material and, and walkways, walls, things like that. It's even just the environments um, created, whether it's, you know, you go from a through a portal and then, you know, everything opens up to be a wide vista, you know, no different from walking down Main Street being sort of you're coming through the breezeway, you're directed back towards center and you have a vista that opens up towards the castle. I mean, that's that's um you know connecting the dots on the show experience so it's mm -hmm. it's the you know the tangible physical criteria meeting the emotional side and how those those two constantly push and pull on each other um in the environment that we're building um around our experience that's great well i'd love to ask another question you know in my head and you know what uh, Sugar was doing back when we collaborated together in the past was it was always about like master planning, which surprisingly had a lot of like numbers and math and things like that involved. And I really was first exposed to it when we were working at at, at that firm together. Um, but even though I, I invoked Jeff, I'll really toss it out to the group. Um, at, you know, Danny, we'd love to hear your thoughts first. So, you know, what are the most important components to designing an effective master plan whether that be for a resort and you probably we might need to define that a little bit uh, for people who may not be aware of what that is um uh for resorts theme parks all that kind of good stuff love to hear your thoughts probably first and foremost patrick it's it's sort of having a program in place of things that we need to encompass within the master plan so the master plan is an overall vision plan or site plan tied together talking about all the different pieces and and parts that are going to collectively make up an experience, whether it's uh, different attractions, different lands, uh, restaurants, hotels, uh, water bodies, things like that, how we're getting there. So parking, transportation, back of house. And having a program where you understand, program is basically a list of, um, of criteria that need to be included in your plan. So square footage of buildings, uh, you know, amount of space for uh, garbage and, and trash removal and things like that. Pairing that with sort of the criteria of how many guests are inspect are expected per day, or how you know how how much you know what's our capacity going to be? Because all of those criteria help us then sort of build this fabric of of parts and pieces, uh, understanding the scale of those parts and pieces together, and then um, you know 
getting a real sense of scale and relationships um, to, to really take the next level with a plan. Mm -hmm. Sugar, anything yeah. to No, no, Dan did a great job. Um, <laughs> the great thing about having the program, as Danny mentioned to start off, is you can um, kind of vet out and, and validate a lot of what you're going to eventually draw um, to see if the project works or doesn't work. Um, critical to that would be the design day. Um, you know, what is my annual attendance? And then how do I pair that all the way down to, you know, the most amount of people in the park um, on that day? Um, so you're not designing the church for Easter or Christmas, but you're designing it for a comfortable day throughout the calendar year. Um, those numbers start to um, flesh out what the site plan will look like. Um, sometimes if you're given you know, a thousand hectares to design a, a theme park resort or some type of destination based on your annual attendance and what the program is telling you and, and how many hotel rooms you have and all that stuff, you might only need a quarter or, or half of that, that site. Um, so those are things that you can kind of vet out very quick um, and then help you refine the plan, which basically just becomes the illustricized version of the, uh, the metrics in, in spreadsheet and document form. So for those, I think a lot of people are not going to know what a program is. Um, do you mind <laughs> describing that just for, for those that don't know? Because that's I, that is a lot of people are in this industry that may not touch that front end work, right. or they may be working for a firm that's already has theme parks and all that. And I think it's so interesting because it was really fun to play with program at, back when we worked together. Right. So um, a program basically identifies all of the kit of parts that go into whatever it is you're designing. Same thing if you're an architect, um, interior designer, any kind of design professional, you're given a program. And that identifies, so let's just say it is a theme park. Um, so in that theme park, we need to have so many square foot of retail, so many square feet of F&B, back of house, offices, um, and all those things operationally that make the theme park work. Then you start to look at the big blocks so how big is the ride show? So um, a roller coaster takes a certain size footprint and service and back of house and guest and queue space. So all those kind of get identified from a square footage standpoint. Then you've got a block that's 10,000 square feet. Then you go to the next attraction. All of those things combined give, an, give you an overall area of square footage to put onto the site. Um, I hope that helps a bit. Andy, what do you think? Did that answer that question about program? I, I think it does. And I think that, you know, that'll dovetail perfectly into the next question, which is, uh, you know, how does your role change throughout the project lifecycle from Blue Sky to, you know, buy out, buy off? QQ's going through this right now. Yeah. No, Q, yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, dive in, oh, Chichen. Uh, allegedly, so. <laughs> so from Blue Sky, I really feel like it's the time when we just threw out tons of ideas. There's no right or wrong. You always ask yourself the question, what if we do this? What if we do that? It's a lot of what if moments. And then when we move to the construction documentation, it's like, what's the solution? how we can build this, how we can achieve the finish. So to me, it's really coming from a very broad idea and then narrowed down to that one piece. 
and the great thing to that to go from blue sky all the way through construction and observation is um is the common thread and that common thread is as we all know in themed entertainment is story 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 yeah so um that that story and narrative in blue sky is painted with a very broad brush but then when you go into construction detailing um, it is a very fine point pencil and every line counts because every line is going to get built into the field. Um, but every line is drawn based upon what the story tells us um, it needs to be. Yeah. I think there's a big part of that that speaks to making sure we're always, you know, looking back to our sort of North Star for the project. And are we defending the project's integrity of, of storytelling? Um, you know, how are we, how are we, uh, you know, we have to engineer a, a blue sky solution. So how do we, um, you know, how do we make it work? That's that's the biggest thing is we you know, we want to feel like we're underwater. How are we going to make these, you know, light poles or sculptures around us feel like they're they're coral or components that are next to us when we're underwater? Um, we can draw something fun that represents that, but it, you know, what is that actually going to look like as a foundation? Uh, to support that pole, or how are we going to hide um, all the power that comes to that that light pole so that it doesn't look like a light pole? So it's really there's like kind of a I feel it's putting on your X-ray eyes a little bit too to things to really uh, think about an experience you want and then reverse I, I don't want to say reverse engineer reverse designing that to you know how how can you get to that solution. Um, while still respecting and being true to blue sky. You know, at the, at the risk, at, ahead, I was going to say at, at, at the risk of, of uh, edging into NDA territory, I'm not sure what, what you guys could talk about, but what came to mind, my mind talking, listening to you talk about that was um, the experience of walking through Pandora at Disney's animal kingdom, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. like, where do the artificial plants end and the real plants begin? And like, when and where that decision was made, you know, it's like, I, I couldn't imagine like, you know, figuring that out until you actually got into the field, you know, and started, you know, putting plants in the ground. I think part of that, Andy, is, I mean, uh, the mock-up process is a big part of our scope of work as well, where, yeah, you know, we'll, you'll build a, a portion of retaining wall and, and sample out a, you know, a, a 20 foot stretch of plant material based on what you just described and getting comfortable with what the, the what's the safe distance for how, how close something can be before I know it's, it's real or uh, mm -hmm. synthetic and just building a, a sample of that. I mean, the modeling, the digital world has changed things so immensely. However, um, you know, it's, it's until you're touching the tangible, um, you know, physical components or you're looking at them, in the same room it's it's hard to tell so i think that's a big part of we see that on projects frequently and i think projects really benefit from including that in in their timeline or in their cadence is to build a small part of it and make sure you have it right yeah well that's great and and i i want to go i'm going to railroad and go back um because you're, you you all have done really great like resort work and so while it might be something to say you know walking through galaxy's edge or for through harry potter and saying you know this needs to be x how are you translating 
um, maybe a little bit more ethereal goals of luxury and things like that in your landscape architecture. Um, if you, I, you may have some specific examples of what you've created publicly. Um, I think you, I don't want to say anything that's not public. So if there's any examples where you had like a word or, or North Star you mentioned earlier, or like a Four Seasons or or, or for an, a resort like that, where it wasn't like a huge, it wasn't story based um, per se. I think um, a great example is what we did in the early '90s um, on Paradise Island with Atlantis. Mm -hmm. So every, everything you see um, was kind of um, had a storyline and a North Star common thread to it, and that's how the pools came to be. What the architecture looks like why it's that color. Um, and then that process got um, massaged and, and, and tweaked as it went over to um, Dubai um, mm -hmm. for, you know, another um, variation of the same theme and then into uh, Sanya um, over in China. So still the same common theme in North Star, but, but the thread changes and the thread changes based on um, region and culture. And those regions and cultures can come through in different paving patterns, materials, and a definitely landscape palette as well. well that's great. I, th I think that's part of that too. Is is uh, you know there's some simple rules that from uh, I, I call them rules, but maybe guidelines from from a hospitality lens that definitely overlap and are part of theme park experience as part of the hospitality world. It's just you know one branch of that, but. You know, making things intuitive for guests, making things, you know, being logical with circulation or, or having structure and sequence to things, um, not mixing, uh, you know, dumpster smells with uh, being near, near, you know, I guess space where people are eating, trying to trying to mix all those things together definitely still apply in this realm, even, you know, maybe in some areas even more so, but it's right. uh, hitting, hitting those pieces right that we talk about it at the firm constantly is just uh emphasizing celebrating and um really valuing guest experience that's you know whether it's a, a hotel um you know a luxury resort somewhere or it's a theme park experience uh guest experience drives what we do that's great i just had a flashback when i used to work in operations at disney and i would uh Walk by the trash <laughs> and pack it. <laughs> it's <a smell. laughs> it's, yeah, it's it's pretty rough. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, you mentioned Atlantis in in Nassau. That, uh, uh, that going to Atlantis and Aquaventure and just walking around and going to the water park. It's one of my favorite water parks in the world, and that's one of my favorite parts of you know, going on a like a Bahamian cruise. Mm -hmm. Is you know mm -hmm. just you know going and walking around in that fantastic environment. No, it's, I mean, it's great from an escape standpoint, and it's um, it's everything you want a destination to be, um, because it it evokes emotion, uh, it, it ties into guest experience on different guest profiles, um, and at the end of the day, you're you're creating memories, uh, and and the way it's it's portrayed to the guest is is through the that thread of, of story. Yeah. I guess I have the next one. Yeah. Um, so the next question, uh, what are some of the design trade-offs you've experienced uh, when attempting to balance aesthetics, theming and functionality? And it's a continuation of kind of what we've been talking about, you know, what, you know, what are the, what are your big compromises, I guess, that you have to make in the process? 
Danny? Uh, big time. <laughs> yeah, no. no I if anyone else is going to jump in. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, trade-offs. I mean, we were talking about moving from Blue Sky into construction, construction documentation or implementation earlier. Uh, I think probably all three of us would, would struggle to think of times where we haven't had to make trade-offs on something mm-hmm. um, based on budget, based, based on time frame, based on changes along along a design process. And I think, I mean, that kind of goes back to the North Star comment a little bit of always gut checking, is our decision still going to allow us to achieve that? But knowing that, um, you know, one example would be like plant material. Mm-hmm. Ideally, we'd have, um, you know, trees a certain size at, at day one that line the entire experience we're working on and we might find out well shoot you know that's that's three times the project budget let alone the landscape budget so we can't do that and so it's it's going through a, a sort of a series of checks and balances not only with our scope but the project scope to just say what are the parts that are going to make the most the most impact um, and being careful not to it's like you don't want to do everything okay. We want to hit hit on what areas that are most critical and do those really well, and and make sure that we're not compromising something to give a you know a vanilla experience everywhere, so to speak. But also, I think a benefit of that approach is that down the road you may find that you know what we we can go back and we can really supplement that zone that we always wanted to do, um, and it will fit in seamlessly w- with what's already been established so that i think that approach sort of sets you up for future growth but with the the trade-offs it's just constantly um you know being informed through the design process on what what's going to add the most value to our storytelling to the guest experience uh you know weighing those different factors together what's more important to to hide you know back of house or to have uh, LED concrete paving is one or the other critical. And you, and you start to go through that process of, of comparing and contrasting. And then, you know, can it, can we do a berm that's uh, or a berm instead of building a stone wall or something like that? You start to think of it's, we almost kind of go into playing with your bag of tricks, so to speak of, of design tools. How else could we, if, if we can't do that, how else can we achieve that? And it sort of opens up, you're not going backwards, but you're just you're sort of circling back on something and saying, "All right, well, um, you know that road's closed for now, or that you know there's a, there's construction going on there. We got to try a different avenue." And I think that that as much as that's a hurdle, it's it's also part of what we do. I mean, that, that's a different way that our discipline has to be creative is to do more with less, and know that. Um, we're landscape architects and we still don't know where money trees are either. So it's, it's kind of a reality part of what we do where you have to create, create, we, we have to be creative in the lens of, of, of thinking of how to tell these stories, but also be creative in how they're executed. That's equally as important. I think I want to add to what Danny just mentioned, what will add the most value to the project. The project, one example I'm thinking of is the project I'm currently working with Jeff. There is this seat wall, so which is 30 inches high. And I was asking him, that's too tall for a seat wall. If I'm sitting on there, my feet cannot touch the ground. <laughs> Why we cannot make the wall lower 
And the reason is we want to have more soil depths to create a large landscape setting,、uh, which will add to the aesthetics and theming aspects. No, great, cool. Well, appreciate all that. That was great. Next question for you. Going down our questions, ten questions.、Uh, what technological elements are you typically asked to integrate into landscape designs, and how do you ensure they'll re remain functional for years to come? So, a lot of requirements. I presume speakers, lighting, all those types of good stuff.、Uh, Danny,、uh, do you want to take this one? Sure.、Um, I think yeah, there are there are ever ever more of those.、Um, In this, I mean, in the world in general, but in this in this space we're all in, where、uh, you know, all so many apps are dependent upon for for guest experience nowadays. So、um, you never know when another Wi-Fi tower is going to pop up within within、um, uh, within the your project's、um, you know visible space. I think、um, utilities in general are some. Are a challenge for us、um, in in our scope to be coordinated on and, and、uh, do what we can to conceal those. So that's kind of a critical path item for us. And sort of right brain, left brain is making sure all that is. Do we want it to be visible, or do we want it to be as if you know Wi-Fi is just happening here? And so, you know, all of that takes a ton of coordination、um, to make that be the case. But、um, beyond, I mean,、uh, some of the the, the leaders would be. Uh, Wi-Fi, BGM is a huge thing. Making sure we're supporting story with the music that's being placed in an area,、um, or just sounds in general in the background. The most、I、important、think. thing. <laughs> yes, Andy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Andy, you, you paid us twenty dollars each just to mention that. <laughs> you know, I think、um, from a technology standpoint,、um, whatever we design today is already outdated、um, because technology is moving so fast. The great thing. About the advancement of technology is usually technology gets smaller instead of getting bigger.、Mm. Um, so what once was an area speaker today that's a 24 inch diameter piece that has to sit in the landscape, you know, in six months, 12 months, or five years down the road, it could be this really incredible power speaker that's as big as an iPhone today,、uh, but it still does the same thing and performs the same way.、Um, The one thing that I think would be that is going to be critical to exterior spaces、um, is to start to fold in technology that、um, that moves with you through the landscape、um, in a resort destination. So,、uh, very similar to、um, Keys to the King or Keys to, is it, was it Sorcerer's Keys to the Kingdom、um, at Disney? Yeah. yeah. So similar to that, you know, bringing that into the landscape. How does an individual's experience change on something like a lazy river,、um, based on how they interact with with that and the technology that can create that can create either digital mapping or digital projections? If there's LED screens built into some type of cavern that the lazy river goes through, and the first time you go through,、uh, it's a giant squid, and you're eye to eye going through through the cave. Uh, but then the next time you come in, or if you're on a different、um, experience, it becomes you're inside of a treasure chest or something like that.、Um, so I think technology has an ability to advance the built environment、um, and and kind of lend itself、um, as a complement rather than just being dependent upon the technology.
I've got kind of a follow-up to that, you know, talking about technology and blending it with our, the landscape, you know, and, you know, so you mentioned that, like, uh, fixtures and technology is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, with the ability to add more um, illumination to landscape, how, how, how much more frequently, if more frequently, are you working with lighting designers, architectural lighting designers, uh, to illuminate the landscape, you know, at night, which is, you know, something, you know, that was happening as much as it is now hand in hand mm -hmm. uh, every I, I project think, yeah uh, we work um with lighting designers um um av technology cctv all of those people that touch the outside um, because the more collaborated collaborative the experiences the less hiccups there are in the field through construction um and it, it helps us um learn more about why we have a tree the way it is how to uh, you know how to align the path to get the most out of lighting um so you know like chinchin said pretty much on on every project that's cool i mean you know uh, then in the last 20 years you know uh sustainability has become like a really important aspect of design and uh, environmental sensitivities how do you what are your strategies current strategies former strategies you know developing strategies uh, for integrating, you know, concerns about sustainability and environmental concerns. We actually had this conversation. Dan, do you want to go or do you want me to go? Uh, either, either way. Go ahead, Danny. I already oh. talked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we, yeah, we've been, uh, we've seen that come up on projects as well, uh, whether they're hotel projects within this space or, or, you know, you know, even within the actual themed environment itself. Um, and I think it's it's uh, it really forces you to think about um, materiality, um, you know, first and foremost, and just being uh, you know uh, trying to. Uh, it's really reevaluating the same design solution in in a in a different way, where I think you know, we're trying to, uh, we were kind of talking internally with a, sort of an obscure reference before where um, just specific to plant material is, well, I think you, 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 you think a lot about the environments where they're, they're leveraging plant material uh, in a different way from where you might see it um, on the day-to-day -day basis, like at you know, Jungle Cruise planting orange trees, orange groves upside down and whatnot. And I think it's sort of the same, we, we, we see that little part of this the same way where it's like all right we know the kit of parts or the the native plant plant palette we have in this region is there something we could do with that uh that palette that is atypical um whether how it's spaced or how it's manicured or you know not manicured based on sustainability needs to try and um tell the story a different way it's, it's sort of a it's a different type of design challenge than um you know turning turning your back to it and just you know built you know doing everything else without having any consideration for that so the plant material one was one that came up with us earlier where it's just similar to how those conversations happened 50 70 years ago of how can we use something in a in a its own in a different way to tell a very specific story i think it's there's a lot of that now where we see sustainable materials and sustainable environments being portrayed a certain way. Um, but it's, I think, you know, you can kind of turn that on its side and try and um, 
use the benefits of those, but tell a story more in line with maybe um, or a different type of story at the same time. Right. I think as a designer, we all it's very important for us to integrate sustainable design thinking into each phase of our design, probably all the way from site selection to concept all the way through detailed design. Um, one example I can think of is existing trees. You all will probably be surprised that like how many projects we design around existing tree and then as a landscape architect we try to preserve every single tree on site i think one of my dream project will be we can preserve all the trees for the site okay great well uh sugar anything else to add to that uh, no i think um danny and, and qq have done a great job um Okay, so the only thing I'll add to that, <laughs> as I'm talking, um, I, I think the idea um, and concept of, of sustainability is inherent to the professional landscape architecture. Um, we're stewards of the land and everything that we design. And it is um, kind of inherent that landscape architects are really right brain, left brain, brain um, oriented where there's an operational and um, a functional way to design a space. Um, and in, in that is the sustainability part. You know, you have to convey water from A to B. We have to get the right tree, the right plant, and the right space for it to function. Um, and then fold it into, once we figured out the problem, is the aesthetic quality to it. And then the marriage of the two is what landscape ar architecture is. Got it. Cool. Well, you know, we're... There's a lot of people who, who may not necessarily know about the personal rewards, um, like a credit card. No, the, the <laughs> <laughs> of your position. Um, what do you find the most rewarding part of being a landscape architect? Just what, where do you get excited about? And we'll go to QQ first. Yeah, good to me because I don't have many built projects. Um, but I think the most rewarding part is see people enjoy the space we mm -hmm. created and it's a part when we are another part is when we are in the meeting with the client we always bring up creative solution to a problem and then they will be like wow the landscape architect knows a lot <laughs> <laughs> no hold on sometimes it works and sometimes, sometimes it yes doesn't. i'm just the landscape architect in the room but yeah, what is that's, yeah. yeah that's the preface to everything this is a stupid <laughs> idea and i'm a landscape architect so take it for what it's worth yeah. never said that no <laughs> not yet today so i think i did actually no i i think uh yeah similar to chin chen i think um it's been really cool as I've, in, you know, evolved in my career to to see some things built to watch, um, not only myself and, and my family get to experience them, but you know, my mm -hmm. my kids in particular to get to go to some of these types of environments and interact with them, uh, you know, starting projects without kids, and then um, by you know some of these projects are so long you have kids by the end of the project and and they get to go and. Uh, play in a pool that you designed or a water feature that, mm. that you helped um, pull together with a very creative team. And it's that I think is very, uh, in the immediate sense, is really rewarding. But I think it's rewarding um, 
on a, on a different personal level too, because um, nothing we do is easy. It's, there's always, um, we, we feel we always, we never have enough space on a project. There's never enough, um, uh, never enough budget. There's never, you know, there's, there's always things that you, you wish you had or, or, or aren't quite what they could be in terms of the tools you have, but it's really, it, it's like, there's a, high 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 level of satisfaction working on projects that the projects we do because it requires um a, a lot of hard work and, and thought and creativity to to push them through so it's i think at times at the hour to hour it can be challenging to see that when you know there's challenges with projects but uh the big picture it's really inc incredibly exciting and rewarding to see um what's possible yeah yeah, the the ultimate goal for me has always been um, to have other people go and enjoy the space. Um, and to Danny's point, um, having having a son and having him running through something that you've designed or created, and um, it's just really cool. And the other part that is rewarding is um, over your career, you get to meet so many different um, people from you know educational backgrounds, cultural backgrounds. Um, but together, collectively, you always have that single thread of doing really cool projects in really cool places. And and those relationships um, tend to extend far beyond um, putting a project together from design through construction. Uh, and it's just building building just a great background of, of friends and professionals to work with as well. I mean, uh, I can relate to all that, you know, working on music and sound for projects for years uh like for warner brothers world abu dhabi and it's like i flew out there for the opening just to watch people listen to the music mm -hmm. <laughs> oh it's great yeah. it was awesome yeah it's great well you know let's uh i want to wrap it up with with the the question we ask all of our guests uh is the advice question what advice would you give to you know uh perspective architecture landscape architecture students you know and uh, aspiring landscape architects i was thinking about this question and i trying to come up with a long list like all the advice <laughs> i would give them and i'm halfway i look at my first two points like oh those are the advice jeff and danny gave to me and i need to bring <laughs> something new so we don't have to talk so go ahead kiki <laughs> definitely first one be curious have an open mind, always look for new ways to doing things and always look around you. And I mean, I get inspired, inspired by my colleagues every single day. I always ask them a question, uh, listen to what they say and then just looking at them, how they do stuff. And then second point I want to say is be nice to everybody, treat <laughs> others the way you want to be treated. Uh, third thing is be brave. Just go out and doing networking. Go to all the TA social mixers. One of uh, icebreaker moment I will always use is I will always ask people the question, how do how do you think you should pronounce my first name? Then everybody take a 10 seconds look at my name tag and trying to figure out how to pronounce my name. So just go out there, meet new people. Last but not least, I think it's be yourself. It's okay to be a nerd. It's okay to have a different opinion. That's you know, all great Jeff. advice. Yeah. 
those are awesome, Chen Chen. I think the 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 one you said about just kind of building on it, taking some risks. I mean, that's a big part of of this career path. And I I look back and probably talked to QQ about a few of these, but there's been projects or experiences that looking back, I know and at the time seemed, um, you know, you know, you kind of feel like you're, you're trying to keep your head above water. And, but you looking back on those, I, I was put into, you know, out of my comfort zone by, by my leaders. And, and uh, it's, it's only benefited me. And, and, and I think her points about, um, you know, taking those risks with, with networking and, and diving into this entertainment space is huge because it's a great community. Mm-hmm. There's some incredibly talented people, passionate people that, um, that do great things. And I think our career path is, is pretty neat because um, it's a, it is not a very big discipline. It's, you know, that you get to know a, a lot of the landscape architects in our field pretty quickly, just in general, it's not that big of a trade. So um it's it's uh you know staying staying in, in good contact with everyone in good context with everyone and um it i think this field continues to grow there continues to be some incredible opportunities out there in this this realm of design so um you know just just keep keep evaluating the the places that you find special just like i think all three of us have done and, and that's kind of you know by studying those and 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 working towards those, it's ultimately got us there. Yeah, I think to Danny and Chin Chin said everything that I probably would have said even way better than than I could say it. The, I mean, for me, the biggest thing, um, anybody coming out of school or landscape architect or whatever the profession is, is just be true to yourself at the end of the day. Do what you want. Um, be creative. Um, failure is is a good thing. It, it's okay because you're going to learn from it. Um, and I'm going through every coffee mug I can think of. Uh, every <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, when life gives you lemons, blah, blah. Um, no, really, it's just be true to yourself because at the end of the day, um, your, yourself and your, your, your loved ones are, are what matter most. Um, and it, if you can put in a good day's work and make them proud, then you've done a good thing. I actually I have one thing to add that just popped into my head because I I recall asking, um, you know, a question to a mentor years ago in this space of, you know, I want to be an Imagineer. I want to I want to be in this environment. What what advice can you give me? You know, the thirty second conversation, and it was really I I think about this often. He had told me just focus on being a good landscape architect, getting those skills mm-hmm. in that in, in that mm-hmm. space, um, you know, paired with your own passions or you know design strengths or uh, your own creativity in this in this environment is really important to ultimately be a landscape architect in this 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 space. And I I, I kind of caught me off guard when he said that, but I, I think about it constantly because it's it's really had an impact on my career to make sure I knew, know how to do all the things we're expected to be able to do to some degree, because that's ultimately the part we're expected to contribute. You can find ways right. to apply those creatively and in the space of, you know, theming or whatnot, the way you want to, or the way you think you can, or is be desired, but you've got to have the nuts and bolts down of what we're, you know, what we're, what we're doing. So that's always stuck with me. I just wanted to add that in. 
I wanted to have a surprise bonus lightning round. Um, what are your current favorite plants? Ooh. Oh, jeez. Date palms. Uh, <laughs> date palms. Date palms. Date palms. Nice. So in the world, yeah, in the world of global warming, the great thing is um, that now we can get these really cool plants that only grow in South Florida, up in Orlando. So, <laughs> so we're starting to lean on uh, sea grape and and you know, lipstick palms, some things like that that are really really cool that don't really exist that much in in our region right now. But you know, I'll be darned, you can probably grow them here. I've always been interested in palms in general, just because I grew up in Michigan, so I'm really intrigued by those. But really, anything other than a queen palm, I, I like. So. We've got a big fan palm in my front yard you can have if you want it. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of those, but any others would be fun. <laughs> they spread too much. So, Patrick. Not your favorite oh. plant. Next question. Oh. <laughs> oh. We're towards the end of the the of this show, it's been fantastic. We always love to just create an environment where, if there are any closing thoughts you might have about um, landscape architecture, maybe um, anything you would like to say, um, we'd like to give the floor to you. We'll start with uh, Sugar, and then Danny, then QQ. You sure? You sure about this? So no, uh, listen. Uh, when we started this the conversation um, about how you guys have put this together and. Um, you know, we, we had this conversation back at the beginning of IAPA. Um, and again, this goes pretty much to a couple of things that, that we've talked about today. It's, um, uh, it's about relationships and just being great to everybody. Because in this profession of themed entertainment, there everybody is incredibly nice and willing to collaborate with you um, and just be, be a great spirit and support of everything that you guys do. Um, so I am happy, Patrick, that you invited us here. And I'm very happy that we continue our relationship. So um, it, it's been fantastic. So thank you. That's, those are my parting words. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. So nice. That's so <laughs> Danny. No, I, yeah. I think sort of, sort of amplifying from that is, I mean, this is an awesome opportunity for us and uh, as landscape architects, because we're, you know, you, you probably not the first or second or fourth trade you always, you know, fo folks typically think of similar to our, you know, how we talked about how we got into this. It was, it wasn't, you know, just sitting right in front of us or, our, you know, um, obvious choice, but um, so we're, I'm appreciative. We have this opportunity to talk about what we do and, uh, you know, continue to amplify, uh, you know, the voice of, of what our role is in this space and how much it can really add to the overall experience. So we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, again, really appreciate this opportunity. I just have one question for you guys. When can we do the, a day in the life at EDSA? When, when can we schedule that? I cannot wait to, to do it. Oh, we can yeah. definitely make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> Consider it done. I mean, this was kind of close to it, but they do a little bit more uh, more on that front, so we'll we'll get you connected for sure. We we have to have benching outfits too. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh, I'd lo I would love to watch that. I watch all the Day in the Life shows. I love those shows. It's great. Mm -hmm. I'd I'd love to watch a EDSA Day in the Life show. Awesome. Excellent. Well, appreciate everyone of time coming on and just you know it's it's a great to 
keep fostering these relationships and to be able to share what landscape architecture is all about. You can check out the website, www.edsaplan.com. And we will just send major thank yous for taking the time to share what you're all, you're all about in your journey. And make thank sure you guys. Stick, stick around you. after the show. Thank you. Thank you guys so much. All right. Take care. Thank you.